Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian and Andrew. And we are here in the studios in Charleston, South Carolina with Hector Garate. How you doing, guys? And Hector, you're with Palmira Barbecue. Palmira Barbecue, yes. Really excited to, to eat at this great new barbecue joint that's just burst onto the scene over the last year or so. Um, got to give a shout out. We are in Head High Studios, um, and we've got our Vana Audio that is handling our sound today. Uh, really exciting for us. We're, we're usually a one-stop shop that does some pretty crappy audio. So we're going to have a lot better episode today, guys. So all of you that have complained about noise, uh, this one's for you. <laughs> but let, let's get into Hector's story. Let's talk about how you know your connection to barbecue and, and live fire cooking started at a, at a really young age. Let us know a little bit about your, your early days. So yeah, I mean, in the beginning, everything started, you know, Puerto Rico has a really big culture of cooking whole hog in a, in a different way that we cook it a little bit different, but it's not that different. Uh, they use coals as well. Uh, so just growing up, going into this Puerto Rican barbecue places and seeing the lechon is the way we call it and seeing all this life animals being cooked, uh, under fire, under coals. It was really impressive, you know, when you're a kid and then you, you taste these flavors and it's just, you know, you make that connection, you know, with your culture, essentially. It's sensory. I mean, I imagine the smells too. The smells. Bring, probably bring back a lot. Everything. And everything starts there, you know. And then from there, uh, your family has a big impact as well, you know. Um, your grandparents cooking with you and, and just learning um, all those traditions that get passed down to you and you always want to embrace that yeah i mean back down to the namesake of your business now palmetto barbecue is named after your great-grandmother yeah it is named after my great-grandma and i i was fortunate enough i mean she lived to really i mean 100 years old and i was the hundreds <laughs> i was fortunate enough to be able to cook with her oh it's amazing in the kitchen um many times and try her food and and most importantly hear her stories about Fincalola, where she grew up in Cuba. And what, what kind of seasonings, um, was there anything that was more unique there that, that you don't see so much over here that you're bringing into your barbecue? Uh, there is actually, and, and the beans especially, and we're working into incorporate more of those things into my menu as well. We have the base of Puerto Rican cooking, which is sofrito. Uh, the sofrito it's implemented into the pork, it's implemented into the beans, and those things bring a different flavor into it, uh, and it's really close to my roots, essentially. I mean, for lack, lack of knowledge, I mean, to me, it, it's it's kind of a paprika-type flavor. It's, it's, it's just, it's a bold... You know, so is, I mean, it's something I grew up with, too, because my, my father's Puerto Rican, and I grew up with Puerto Rican cooking from his side of the family. So let us let, let everyone in Texas that has no idea the, what sofrito is and what it can be. Well, sofrito, the way that I learned how to do it from my family, there's it can be a, a dry mix as well. You can dry it out, but essentially it has lecaito, it has, which is uh, herb, 
Uh, it has cilantro, it has different peppers, onions, garlic, olive oil, and these things just combine together and just bring this like super herby. Um, yeah, it's such a fragrant form. Yeah, it is just a fragrant. Yeah. That's like that's a better word, <laughs> and it's great. You know, uh, I love it. You know, and and definitely, you know, the the beans at the restaurant. We'll get to the menu later, but yeah, it, it's a must order when you go because it it's it is a unique dish. Um, the other thing that you're doing at Palmera is is beef, and so you know, as we know that that wasn't a very beef centric country. How did that become part of your culture as well? Uh, well. It goes back. I mean, my family in general have a pretty big history with beef itself. Um, the the cooking of beef, though, and Palmira barbecue, like brisket, beef cheeks, um, everything started with me. My wife got me this super cheap offset, and I was like, well. Now I need to learn how to cook in an offset. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> done, a, done a lot of live fire. Yeah, yeah, that's there. what it is. I have that. So I'm like, what can you cook best in the offset? And it's like brisket. And I was like, well, I'm going to learn how to do brisket because I have this offset. I want to barbecue. Uh, as soon as I turned that first fire, and I think like I'm in love with the process of it more than the end result. And once I spend the whole night cooking, feeding a fire, um, just doing it the hard way because that's the way I think in my head, it was like, this is a challenge. I'm going to stay up all night. I'm going to do this and I'm going to conquer, you know? And as soon as I saw the end product, it wasn't the best brisket in the world as well. It was my first brisket, but I was like, okay, I can work with this. I can learn from this. And I'm not the person that when, when I see a, a end product and I'm like, oh man, this is it. I'm not good at brisket. I'm like, okay, how can I fix this? How can I make it better? I'm learning all the time and I keep, and it's the same thing now. I learn every day when I turn on that big offset, I'm like, okay, I'm learning. And I learn something new every day. You know, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned fire. I mean, it's obviously a primal instinct mm -hmm. and, and cooking overnight. You get a lot of time to think to yourself as well, but, but I think fire management is underrated as a skill. Um, to help cook through that have, have you learned over time especially with the offset managing the fire yeah the offset is the fire is everything as my good old friend uh jack waver uh he's the guy that really introduced me kind of helped me through fire management that aspect of it uh, he just told me we just build fires and it just goes down and we build it again uh and essentially that was everything. Their fire management to me is like one of the most important things. Obviously, trimming is really important. Um, there's a lot of aspects to a cook that are really important. But fire management is the foundation of what we do. So as you started to get this passion for not just direct heat cooking, but offset cooking, you know, you'd had a, a hospitality background. You had a restaurant background already that you'd been working in restaurants. But did uh, how, how soon after you know falling in love with the brisket process did... Help me at a barbecue as a business start to become something that, you know, was a dream or could be a reality for you. So I was working in restaurants and everything, but I didn't find that like spark, that meaning, you know, when you work in a restaurant, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going through these motions every day, but I really find no purpose. As soon as I started doing barbecue, I found a purpose in barbecue. Um, and after that, I, I was like, okay, I got to make this happen because I want to do this. Uh, I need to learn how to, I need to get a pit. 
that was my first instinct. And I was like, I'm not just gonna buy a pit. I'm gonna make a pit. Cause I felt like that was the most, oddly enough, I thought that was the most natural. That's the way I processed it. Instead of like saying like, let me go and spend all this money. I'm like, no, let me just figure out how this thing works, actually works. And I want to build it. Uh, and I have a better understanding of the cooking process as well. Cause I understand my pit a lot better cause I built it. Uh, and then from there I w I changed modes to welding mode. So I was like learning everything, deep diving into welding and learning everything about metal completely. I put barbecue to the side for a second and I was like, I need to do this first to be able to get here. And that's exactly what happened. I was like a whole month just going into it. And then from there, I started sourcing materials and slowly started building the offset smoker that eventually we took to the pop-ups and basically created the business. You know, that's the heart and soul is the pit. And that's how that started. As you came down that path of, of welding and, and learning that knowledge, was there any kind of aha moment that, that helped you kind of leap forward? Cause it, it's easy to kind of stick two things together, but maybe you cold weld and, and, and you run the, the, the wire all over the place versus it's almost an art to do a proper weld. Yeah, it is. Uh, metal likes to move. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there, the, there was obviously it, it's a big process learning everything and understanding how metal, uh, reacts to heat, everything, everything, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to go the, <laughs> the whole process and everything, but it's, it goes, you know, there's a lot of knowledge. As, as it heats up when you weld and then it cools back down, it, it'll, it will shift on you. And it will shift on yeah, you. you yeah. Kind Metal of predict moves where it's going to go. Yeah. Right? It moves. Yeah. Um, you know, you got porosity, you got so many things that you have to make sure that you're doing correctly, have the right environment, uh, clean it up really good. It depends. So I use rods. I don't use actually MIG. So to me, for me, it's just a little bit different because I didn't have, uh, that many resources to build it. And I had to build it outside. And the way I thought about it is like, okay, I'm going to use sticks because I can weld outside with that and it can hold heavy metal together pretty well. And yeah, that's what I did. And it yeah. worked out. And so. that, that, that in and of itself takes a big skill because my, my father and brother started on, on the cracker boxes and, and with the rods and, um, I'm watching the people with the MIGs, especially the TIGs. Yeah. Um, it, that, so to be able to do that and pull it off with that is, is also very impressive. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, we've had a couple of pit builders on the show, and obviously we've had some restaurants on the show that build their own pits. But for the most part, it's it's a huge undertaking to try to do all of it. You know, it's it takes a lot of dedication to to craft to really try to learn. I mean, it's hard enough to learn just how to put together a barbecue menu and execute it, but to to execute the cookers that that are going into it. I mean, obviously, you know, Arnis Robbins and Reed Guest are two of the ones that that we've had on that you know that went that extra step. But for the most part. Um, it's, it's pretty rare to see, you know, cause it, it is, it's a lot of work and barbecue is already a lot of work. That's going to lead us into our, uh, our pit building discussion here because, uh, you've got some, some news about your pits. Can you share? That yeah. So basically circling back, um, talking to my, to Marvin Russ, he's my farmer and I decided that, you know, I'm doing whole hog. Okay. And from that, I need a different type of pit. And, uh, we built basically a box pit in three days. 
we were like, we got to do this right now, build it. And we need to start, we were cooking in cinder blocks, uh, the whole hog, the old traditional way. And we're like, we need a pit. We need to put it in a pit room. So we decided to build this pit. After we built this pit, we were like, huh, this is what's kind of easy. We can probably build more pits. <laughs> so after that, um, one of my good friends, uh, Chef Graham Calabria, and I decided why we just don't build these pits and sell them basically uh, to barbecue aficionados that want to do the same thing in Charleston. They want to have a pit that they can actually fit a shovel to with coals, live coals in it, or put a log, do a little coal smoke, whatever you want to do. So we sat down and designed this pit the way we wanted it to be uh, in a way that we can build it fast enough as well. And, and basically we wanted something that was, can like, can be in your backyard for generations. Something that if you spend the money, you feel real good about. And we were like, so what are we going to call this company? And I was like, well, my grandfather and my dad's side, he's from Cienfuegos, Cuba. And that means a hundred fires. And I like to name things basically after my family. That's why Palmira, all these things. I like to have a link into what I do. I like to honor my ancestors. And it's just the way I do things. It's the way I process things. And it's just like paying homage. I'm grateful that I'm here because of them. And I want to pay respects back. And I want their names, the names they come from everywhere. <laughs> so I decided to call it Cienfuegos. And we are going to start produce. We already have um, produce. Uh, I think we have around six of them already built. And then we just, once we have all the branding and everything together, which is coming along real fast, we will introduce them to uh, our audience and our customers and anybody that wants to do barbecue in the backyard. Excellent. And you, you mentioned, um, you know, kind of generational pits as opposed to, you know, disposed. Yeah. It's, it's something we have seen recently. You know, there's, there's been an uptick of um, luxury is not the word, but just well-built, you know, more sturdy pits that do cost more up front, but it's something that's going to last for a long time and, and can be used in multiple. They're also very useful, but um, can just be used over and over and over again, as opposed to pits that, you use a few times, they rust out, they just kind of sit in the corner of the yard. I've got a, one of those at least. Yeah, at least one of those. You might <laughs> yeah, have two yeah, or three. Yeah, I got one of those too. <laughs> That's the one that I started with. Uh, but yeah, it does. That's one of the things you cannot find that anywhere, really, if you want to hear. Like, you cannot just go to a store and be like, let me get like a super heavy, like something that will actually. And I really think that that helps a lot, having a pit that actually functions well. Because it it, yeah. it it helps contain the spikes and valleys. Yeah, and it just makes yeah. it easier for somebody who's trying to learn barbecue. If you try to learn barbecue and um, offset or direct heat peat that it's not as good, it is going to make you a great at barbecue because you're going to learn fire management really well because you're going to be every 10 minutes putting you know a little stick in there or whatever. But with a better built pit, it just makes it a lot easier. Or you could be really dumb like Brian and I and have your pit on an angle on a driveway that's <laughs> steeped. 
Oh, yeah? And then your fire makes no sense, and you're trying to figure it out, and it takes you about two hours into the cook. You're like, yeah, maybe we should be on level ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he has an exhaust stack that was offset as well and t- towards the rear of the pit, and so we were on an incline when we were cooking, and all of the heat was getting trapped, and it wasn't, it wasn't coming out of the pit, and we had no flow. And it oh. was just, it was just killing us. We never could figure it out. We thought, we thought the wood was really, really wet and it wasn't. And, um, finally we, we, we got the pit level and, and just and like night and day, it started it working. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Uh, changing gears a little bit. Uh, you, you mentioned your, your farmer that you work very closely with, and that's been something that's been part of Palmyra from the very beginning. It, tell, it has. Tell, tell us a little bit about that farm and, and how you guys came to form this partnership. So... Marvin Ross is, is a good friend of mine. Um, he being, he's been raising heritage breed pigs for generations now. So this is somebody that really knows what he's doing and understands these breeds really well. Uh, he raises in woodlock in the woods. So these animals eat different variety of things. Uh, they're really fatty, have a lot of marbling. Uh, and he really knows what he's doing. And from the beginning, when I was... Doing the business plan for Palmira, because that was one of the first things that I did. Uh, I that was one of the key things. If if I'm gonna use any type of pork, we're in the Carolinas. We need to use the best pork that we can source. Uh, and he was, to me, producing the best quality pork, and is producing the best quality pork in my eyes, in um, the low country here. And I decided to you know, start cooking it. And once I start cooking it, it was just a different smell. It was just a different taste. It just was something different to me. And I was like, this is so good. And I was like, okay, I need to, and be honest with you, that's, that pork is the only pork that I know how to cook. Well, because <laughs> that's the only product I have used since I started, because I committed myself just to do that. Uh, and it's, I don't know anything else. So, it's, and I was going to ask kind of along that lines, I mean, is, did you, is there a difference in the cooking when you're using heritage versus commodity? It is. There, there is a, uh, it cooks better. It just cooks better. Uh, it doesn't dry out on you as easily. There's more fat content, intramuscular fat content, and also more fat content to, it's more forgiving as well. Uh, and it just cooks better. To me, it's a better cook. And I think anybody that cooks heritage pigs will tell you that. That's one of the things. It's just the way it breaks down everything. I just love it. The smell. It's just it's a beautiful thing. So now let's talk about hash. Yeah, we, we've <laughs> got to talk about hash. It's a, it's a South Carolina tradition. It's something that, you know, Brian and I first got turned on to in 2018 when we did our whole hog trip through the South and, and, and were introduced to hash for the first time and have since had, I mean, it's popping up a couple of places in Texas. They're not doing a super traditional version of it, but it has it has popped up at a couple of places but you're doing your hash a little differently than than the original hash variations you know that that came up here so tell us a little bit about the the hash process for you was that something that did you have a connection to or just because you're in south carolina you kind of well there is there's some connections um to it the the first time i tried that style of hash that I make, it was in the butchery and it was at Marvin's Ross grandmother's house. And 
Marvin made the hash and he and I tried it and I was like I love this hash and I have tried hash many times in different places so I got so inspired by that hash and you know he's my friend so I mean it's not the same recipe it's not the same thing but it has kind of like the same core uh, and he like guide me through it the process he does it a little bit different um, the way that we started working together doing pop-ups essentially and I was like, okay, um, I'm gonna start smoking the heads instead of like, so I started smoking them in the offset. It was the first thing, but it takes a long time to smoke a head in the offset. And after that, I was like, I'm just going to put them in direct heat with the hog and that flavor that goes into the head. And it's already a flavorful piece of meat. And then from there, all the coals, like the fat has a lot of fat, so it drips into those coals and it goes back into it and then from there we start after it's done breaking it down and we put all the spices and everything else and we mix it and it's and it's hash i mean that's one of the the big differences is a lot of folks will will boil the heads yeah Um, and so it just that extra step and that extra level i mean it just adds so much flavor um, and even color to the hash i mean it, it has such a unique color versus what we've had elsewhere yeah it's it was it was a stunner the first time we tried it, and we were at one of the Charleston Wine and Food events uh, a few days ago, and then we got to, to go to port call where you're serving now, and on a plate full of really good food, the hash was still like the thing that we were both like thinking about 30 minutes later, an hour later, we're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just got a great flavor to it. Um, the whole menu that you're producing is super impressive. It's intricate. There's a lot of thought in it, a lot of flavor in it. As you started thinking about what Palmyra was going to be and what the menu was going to be. Let us know about some of the decisions you made in terms of the beef cheeks that you serve and the different sides that you've put on the menu. And and we'll get to the sausage process here in a little bit after that. So we are in Charleston, South Carolina. So the hash was like, I need to make a great hash because that needs to be represented some way on another. Um, And I was like, I love hash. I eat hash every day <laughs> like it's my favorite dish so i put a lot of love into that too uh and finish the development of it to the version that you tried uh yesterday up on meat barbecue and it has to be like a symphony to me so a platter you know you have all the sides they all gotta make sense but to me it's more about sus- being sustainable with the animal so the collard greens we'll take after we finish cooking the hawk we'll take all the bones all the skin everything we'll put that into a pot make a broth that broth is used to make the collard greens now we're using that product as well we're not just throwing it as garbage into the you know uh trash can and just forget about it then from there we decide, okay, so you need acidity you need all these things to make it a barbecue experience and also to a balance essentially in the platter uh the beef sheiks um it's a well famous process that uh Leroy and Lewis been doing and shout out to Leroy and Lewis <laughs> do it yeah, always always doing yes, in yes. uh Austin Texas uh and I felt like he was the smartest about cooking those beef sheiks understanding that that has to go into a confit um and I acquired that technique and I think I put I do a little a couple things a little bit different 
Uh, but for the most part, it creates a wonderful product in the end. Uh, so that's my, one of my favorite cuts of meat as well, uh, of beef. That's my favorite cut, hands down. The cheek is so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we've kind of migrated from brisket to beef cheek just because there, there, there's a lot of great brisket and it's not putting brisket down. There's just a lot of phenomenal brisket. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of phenomenal beef cheek and it's just so rich. It's so rich. Yeah. And I feel like you have to make decisions in the menu. You have to understand the capacity or production you have. And there's so many things that you need to, you know, just make decisions. And to me, uh, the beef chic is, is, is a better decision and my operation, it fits better. Um, and you know, with the whole hog, that's already a big undertaking. And, you know, I feel like the beef chic is just the best fit for my platter and my operation as well. Um, we have the Puerto Rican beans and Puerto Rican beans is something that I grew up eating almost every day. And I understand it really well. Uh, and that was something else that I was like, I need to also introduce this to the people so they can try it and be like, okay, this makes sense. This tastes really good. Uh, this goes with this, but at the end of the day is also my heritage that I'm putting in that platter as well. Uh, and, and it also leads to the sustainability. I mean, there's meat in the beans. I mean, you're, you're still repurposing, yeah. you know, everything there is, is got a use. Yeah. Everything has to, has a place. We use everything <clears throat> from the animal, everything, nothing goes to waste. And, and that restaurant when it comes in, I feel like that's the way you have to do it. If you buy a whole hog, you better use it and use everything in that animal and pay respect because, uh, the animal was processed. It was harvested. Uh, and that's the reality that we live in. We have to harvest animals to make barbecue. So to me, if I, if I'm a, if we're going to harvest an animal for Palmino barbecue, we're going to go ahead and use it all. And, and you mentioned sustainability. Of course, that leads to sausage as well. Yeah. Sausage, um, as well. We use the ham to do sausage and this came about with, um, Peculiar Pig Farms, I asked them, you know, what do you have an excess of? And it's like, I got a hard time getting rid, rid of ham, ham sometimes. And I was like, okay, well, let me let me play with the ham and um, I see if I can make a sausage out of it. And I need some fat back, of course. And we, I made the right ratio. We tried it. I even gave some to Marvin Lake, tried this. Look, I just made this from the ham. Uh, what do you think? And it was just a hit. Everybody was like, man, this is like one of the best sausage I ever tried in my life. And I was like, great. That's awesome. <laughs> like, I'm glad to work it out, you know? Uh, and yeah, pretty much. And I love this, the process of making sausage. It's just, you know, you need to understand a lot of things. Uh, one of my friends, um, Secret Pine, I don't know if you guys know him. Yeah. He's based off Atlanta. Mm -hmm. He's like the sausage whiz to me. He knows everything about sausage. And I reached out to him and I was like, hey, man, can you help me out understanding this process a little bit better? And I'm so grateful to him. He, he really like has helped me out with the sausage at the beginning. Um, and yeah, and I started producing <laughs> good sausage, you know, after that. I mean, it, it's definitely a, a very ambitious menu, a lot of items, some things that are pretty unique to this area, which is great. And, you know, beef cheeks, which, which I think we've talked about off the air before this, I mean, they have picked up and, and people are really getting into that. Yeah. Um, you're open seven days a week yeah. uh, and you're open into the evenings. I, I mean, the menu, the effort, it, it's pretty monumental 
um, how do you do it? <laughs> I mean, so we do why ha- do you do it? <laughs> we do we do have other selections like Brasstown, uh, bur- dry aged burgers, and all the things like that that we offer in case when we run out of barbecue, we have these things to pretty much. We can so we can stay open. Do, do you hear that, Texas? When you run out of barbecue, you can serve other things <laughs> yes. and make money. Yeah, so that's exactly our our process. What's going into this? It's impossible for us to do barbecue basically twenty four seven. We have to implement other menu items in there to um, help us through. Uh, the hours, you know, after, you know, three o'clock, you still have a barbecue, then, you know, you kick then the other menu kind of thing, but you still, I always have, um, hog on the menu. I make efforts. Like if I have to stay up 48 hours cooking, <laughs> I'll do it because people come in and they want that whole hog. There's no question about it. Like they're demanded. Uh, I think one day I'm, I didn't have the hog in there because it was just didn't work out with you know, getting the delivery and all these other things. And people were having almost a riot outside. <laughs> so I was like, after that, I was like, okay, we need to calculate this a lot better. So, um, yeah, you know, you learn, you grow. Well, you learned your audience and that's really important. You know, yeah. Learning what, what you can and can't do and what you need to make sure you always have. And that's, you know, that's part of the growing pains of any small business, any new business. Uh, tell us about where you're serving and, and where people can, can find you on social media and all that fun stuff. So I'm serving all around the low country, uh, specifically Charleston. Uh, so you can find me in Porto Call, which is in 99 South Market Street, which if you visit in Charleston, it's a pretty easy place to go and eat some barbecue at. Uh, also, uh, we do pop-ups. Um, the place that I do the most pop-ups is at Hot Cap Brewing, and that's in Mount Pleasant. Uh, great guys. Uh, great beer. You should definitely, if you have time, go and check it out. Uh, the owner is super cool. Uh, and we do a lot of pop-ups there. And that's where we started doing pop-ups uh, originally. Our first pop-up wasn't there. So, I mean, seven days a week at Port of Call, pop-ups, um, pit building. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else can you do? I mean, at this point, you've got a, a tremendous mm-hmm. amount on your plate. I do. Um, I have to say it's all about the team. It's a, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the team. Uh, and as soon as you understand that it's going to make it way easier for you. Uh, if you, if you are in a barbecue operation or if if you're doing many things at once, um, so, you know, you just got to delegate different things. Uh, you have, have to have people that are in power, they're in charge that you don't have to be just following up every five minutes. Uh, and you have to have people that just want to work with you. And I think that makes it way easier. <laughs> we're, we're excited for the food we already ate. We're excited to see, you know, just cause your business is going to keep growing. The food's going to keep getting better because yeah. the passion you have for it and the dedication. So, you know, we're excited for the next trip to Charleston where we get to see what other 20 businesses you've launched or <laughs> what other crazy things you got on your plate. But you know, thank you so much for taking the time. You know, it's been great to get to try out your food you're one of the exciting new barbecue places in the country in our opinion that we've seen come on the radar the last year um, thank you to charleston wine and food for having us out here in the studio thank you to vaughn she is handling all of the uh, audio here today and uh, we're really looking forward to uh, to seeing the future of palmita
Sounds good. Yeah. Make sure to follow them on all of the social media channels. Um, look for the pits upcoming. Um, Cienfuego. Cienfuegos, Cienfuego. yeah. That, we don't have a social media presence on that yet, but we're working on that. And also you can follow me on Instagram at palmira.bbq and we can keep you up to date with all that stuff in there too. That's awesome. What a great growing scene the Charleston barbecue scene is. So we're, uh, we're excited. Appreciate it, Hector. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.